Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 139 of Death Readers, the podcast where Rob and I read books that we've not read, or at least I haven't, for the first time. This time, we're starting Hannibal by Thomas Harris. We're going to go through ready chapters for some Hannibal? 1 through 9, and we're going to discuss it. Uh, this time, however, and yes, I am ready for some Hannibal. This time, it's actually a book that I have not seen the movie for, mm. but I... We ha- I have seen all of the Hannibal TV show, which I know touches on a lot of the stuff that will happen here. I would go so far even to say that Brian Fuller made more of an adaptation of this book using themes and characters from Red Dragon. Oh, wow. A lot of the feel of that show comes from this. A lot of the ideas floated in that show comes from this. Very interesting. I Yeah. We'll uh... touch on that a lot more later. I definitely, you know, when I was thinking about it, uh, starting this book, I was thinking about how I've read Red Dragon and I've read Silence of the Lambs, and there still feels like an awful lot missing mm-hmm. from from what I know of the handbook. Like I was thinking about, like I was like, man, I'm fairly confident, and and I don't know if this is you don't have to you don't have to confirm this for me. Okay. But I was thinking, I have I don't think I've read a single paragraph or sentence. With the Abel Gideon character. I, I wonder if he's a for-the-show-created character or if he's going to be in the book. And you don't want to know? I, well, if he's not going to be in the book. Yeah, tell me. Just tell me. He's, he's in not in the book. He's yeah, okay. completely created for the show. Cool. Well, there was things like that where I was like, there's stuff that's missing. Like, sure. I mean, I was, I was telling my wife about it and I was like, you know, uh, I know that like the, not Abigail Hobbs, the other one. Alana Bloom? I know that Alana Bloom was Alan hmm. Bloom in the books, and I know that he was only really in like a couple sentences who were that were like, you know, he's off page. It's like through correspondence that he's he's a part of the, the book. Right. So like th- I know the show blossoms I- into other things, but I'm interested. I'm excited to see what, what we'll be well, getting from this that was included then. Similarly, uh, Paul Krendler. Because he was in Science of the Lambs, they couldn't use him. So they made his name an anagram and gave it to the woman from Sex and the City. I think Cynthia Stevenson in Hannibal, the TV show. I don't remember these there's a there's a There's a tall, long-necked woman who is kind of government oversight in Hannibal Season 2. And mm. she's based on Paul Krendler. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So I think that uh, I have this, I have a note to myself here. Considering the abundance of chapters and shit, I'm going to assume uh, the summary duties alone for this book, I think, unless you have, like, fun names you've given each chapter. I have names I've given each chapter. They're not necessarily fun. <laughs> okay. Um, I, 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 I note myself that I don't want to be bogged down with, and that brings us to chapter introductions 101 or more times for the duration of this book. So, just for the sake of brevity... Hey, are you? Are, is this is this some uh, territory you don't want to cede? Uh, no. Okay. I'm also probably not going to start my summaries by announcing that it's a summary anymore. At least for this, it just it literally Holy just takes too crap. much time. It just takes too wow, much time. It's changing everything up because it's just it's. I was just thinking about having to go through that every time for. I'm, I'm going to look really quick, listener. Uh, just so you understand what we're dealing with. Um, this book. Is 
103 chapters long. Yeah. And has an acknowledgement at the end, which we'll probably read. So it's, and, and I think that the thing that I'm just, I know, I know from just having read two of his other books, this, this book is he's gone off the deep end when it comes to making <laughs> incredibly short, uh, apertif chapters. So, and I would say like these chapters were median long, which means we're going to have some really, really short ones later. Yeah. There was a couple that were like 10 pages. Yeah. Um, so I, I just having the experience in the last couple of chapters of Silence of the Lambs and how I'm feeling, how much that really upended our, our, format i just figured i'll just up in the format and just remove a lot of the fat that no we're growing we, we we've yeah. we've emerged from our chrysalis no no not everything is the silence of the lambs not everything is thomas harris we can be <laughs> we we can be a hungry caterpillar who needs to eat more bruce mccullough ladies and gentlemen <laughs> so uh do you have any more uh preface anything else you want to say about ambulatory notes yes please i do not okay um so um let's start as all good books do with chapter one which in media res which i don't know if this will be a thing that happens more often in in the book but this one starts by announcing that it's in washington dc so i don't know if um like where that if that if that comes back later, like oh we've moved now we're someplace else. I, I think this like is like a will. section one. I think that's the thing we should announce. This is like section one, Washington D.C. Chapter <laughs> yeah, part one, one Washington D.C. Yes, the other parts yeah. will be labeled later. Okay, um, yeah, it looks like part six is called something else. So, hey, no, don't look ahead. Okay, chapter one, Washington D.C. We see Clarice back in action with the Washington, D.C. police as they prepare and and ultimately succeed in ambushing a known drug dealer and gang leader. After an explosive firefight that saw Clarice gun down the suspect, our heroine is left wondering if any of the drug dealer's HIV-infected blood made its way into her system. So, yeah, that's a... It's sort of a botched raid. They they do succeed in killing this person, but, like, it's a huge media shitstorm... And a couple other officers die. People that Clarice maybe were characters from the other book. I don't. Oh yeah, one is the 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 Brigham was definitely in the other book. Yeah, so characters that we have we're familiar with to some degree uh, that she's known for a long time are dead, and so are uh, multiple drug dealers. I have a note on page five. Do you have any notes before that? Um, I do. I, I have a sort of overall pre-note. Okay. Um. I'm always impressed when fantastical stories, which this will become, go from maintain- mundane to extravagant. Mm. I always think it's hard to capture. It's a hard slope to capture to like, you know, how something can start just everyday trailer park and end up in space. One of those kinds of things. Yeah. And I think this book does it. Um, we'll see how this progression plays out, but it's a fantastically mundane opening. Could be a Law and Order episode. Yeah. I mean, I, I you say mundane, I say it's it's pretty exciting. Like the oh, the, it's absolutely exciting, but it could be every day. It's commonplace. It's now things it's, that we're yeah, all familiar yes, with before yes. we're going to get into almost arguably supernatural territory. Whoa! I said arguably. Wow. But with you know, anyways, I, I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, the book will become a little more colorful, a little more extravagant. So I'm saying. 
Somebody called the Winchesters. I've never seen that show. I don't know. Well, my daughter could tell you all about it. I don't want it. She watched all 15 seasons in four months. Wow. Yeah. Cool. (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Um, All right. So anything else before page five? No. What's your page five? Page five. It is mentioned that the mayor of Washington, D.C. wants the D.C. police to share in the credit for every drug bust after his, quote, own conviction, mm-hmm. end quote. Is the word conviction here used to describe the mayor's enthusiastic hatred for drugs or recent legal trouble with using them? Is If it's the latter, is this a reference to uh, disgraced D.C. Mayor Marion Barry? I'm sure it is. So you think that conviction is that he... Okay, so this would make a lot more sense because... I looked into Marion Barry's history while reading and, and this book's history while questioning this. It was it was a it was an extremely early uh, distraction. <laughs> and what I learned was that not only had Marion Barry been the mayor of Washington D.C. for like twenty years before he got busted for smoking crack, and then like lost his job, but he then became the mayor of D.C. again after that, mm-hmm. which. If if and 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 in that and when this book was published slash written, it would have been in his after conviction term. Mm-hmm. So it, it it makes a lot more sense that it would be. When like, was his after conviction term? I'm I'm curious because I think I have a note later about when this book takes place versus when it's written. Give me one second to do research. Sure thing. Okay, he his second series of term, I, I guess. Was from January. Okay, his, let's just go in order. His first was 1979 to 1991. Okay. His second was 1995 to 1999. The book does come out in 1999. Right, but I have. I feel like the book is set around 94, 95. So I th- it it just fits. I think okay. it's supposed to be Marion Barry. Cool. So there you go. Like that's that's the. Uh, I thought that was worth noting. Yeah. Because it's either the book is set in the real world or it isn't. And I have a feeling that they want it to be set in the real world as much right. as possible. Right. That's what makes everything that that's what makes what comes later so fantastic. Magical. Oh. Is there, are there dragons? We is it like have a, dragons. Is it like Game of Thrones where there's promise of dragons in the first book, but then there's no dragons, and then by the third book there's actually finally dragons? Yes. Nice. <laughs> Are the dragons red? Uh, if you see them in the moonlight, they look quite black. Whoa. See, Rob, you can yes and. Oh, fuck you. You can. <laughs> You're doing it, Peter. You're doing it, Peter. <laughs> you know what's great is that when I said... Uh, you can't. I I knew what I was. I I was in hook, and so it was amazing to hear you pick that because I wasn't using the right line. But it was amazing to hear you pick that up. <laughs> That's great. The only line I remember is "There you are, Peter." But I don't remember. I, I remember I very fight, little. I can fly. I can. Er, 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 er. He can. I I. Well, now we're on a different tangent. I like um, Dustin Hoffman's. This is going to hurt quite a lot, or whatever he said gonna give peter's son a piercing with his hook it's fucked up (laughs) (laughs) this is really going to hurt that's what he said it's a good movie 
even though people it you know it is it is a good movie it is it's a fun movie i wouldn't say it's a good movie what what's bad about this this hopefully the end of the... <laughs> oh tuck but what is it that with what's with what holds it back it's trying too hard to be playful oh interesting it's, it's i don't think i can okay, refute that okay hook is carrie elways's character from liar liar it's just off it's the claw and you're like fucking knock it off yeah yeah that's it's that's a, what i get it's from it's like hook. It's obnoxiously playful. Yeah, it's it's. Oh, it's, this is what fun movies do, right? I, I I'm the fun, cool dad. Which is, I mean, it ironically is doing what Robin Williams is trying to do at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, I'm sure that uh, Spielberg would Tommy Wiseau himself into insisting that was his point all along. Sure, but um, yeah, it's a it's a fair criticism. I still think it's a good movie because, like, I still think there's a a lot in that movie that is. That overcomes. Oh, like, absolutely, that. absolutely. I'm not saying I hate it. It's well, got you Arthur. Did. You did say that. It's got Arthur Mallet. You know I love Arthur Mallet. What about uh, Hoskins? Eh. Arthur Mallet was in Mary Poppins. He was in The Secret of Nim. He played Toodles. He's got that great old voice. It's in all sorts of animated features. Love Arthur Mallet. Come on. I I mean it's got a good cast. I don't know. It's got a pre McGonagall McGonagall. Yeah. So, Peter, you've become a pirate. It's got Dustin Hoffman in two freaking roles. Captain Hook and Captain of the Airplane. You only hear him in the overhead speaker. It's got freaking Phil Collins as a cop. I'm sorry. Am, are you selling me on Hook or am I trying to sell you? Because I feel it's like... It's got Glenn goddamn close as a pirate. Dante yes. Bosco. As everyone's favorite, crowd favorite, Rufio. I mean, it introduced the concept of Rufio to the world. That's true. It does do that. Anyway, what a wonderful tangent. Um, <laughs> Where were we, Hannibal? <laughs> so, it's just that easy, folks. For two low, low payments of nineteen ninety nine, you too can derail Rob's easily influenced thought process yes the information highway of his brain is full of detours it's true it's just a big parking lot it's like bumper cars i think it's more like a maze but whatever also um, that. okay so yes it is mary and barry that's what we agreed upon let's yes. move moving on i have a note on page 18 okay Okay, this is a. I want to give a little bit of a preface to this note because I was while I was writing some of these notes, I thought, "Oh God, I hope Rob doesn't take this personally." Um, oh, it's because it's really not a personal thing. I promise, I'm it's already not. offended. I promise, it's not. It's just like I had this concern, so I wanted to put it out in the open. So my point, what I'm saying is, the next couple of notes will be harsh on the okay. book, but that's not oh, me. Not me. No, not you. It's harsh for the oh, book. Oh, yeah, fine. Go ahead. And we already I established you can't you, you you don't like things correctly. You that's true. It's a good movie. That's so true. But I don't want. I, what I was worried about is that you would get the impression that me being negative early was some sort of indication that I wasn't interested. Nah. And nah, I want to make fine. sure that's not the case. So no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We all are entitled to our own opinions. Page eighteen. Yeah. Are we seriously about to read a 550-page book full of, quote, does Starling have HIV now, tension? You son of a bitch, I can't believe you said that. 
And then I wrote a preemptive fuck you to this book. <laughs> um, so that's that's my that's my note. I don't okay, need well. clarification or confirmation or clarification. I don't need any of that. I'm just saying if if this book <laughs> undermines itself mm-hmm. with a AIDS scare fucking subplot, I am going to be really disappointed. What if it doesn't? Are you going to be I will or, forget or about going, this. Are you going to ask the book's forgiveness? No. No. Oh. I will just congratulate it for not disappointing me. <laughs> <laughs> Add a book. Although I will say, having said all of that, I will say, uh, I did just hear a uh, a story yesterday, uh, like a, a fairy tale, about this town in England that has a, a, a quote, bottomless lake. And these guys fig- uh, decide they want to find the bottom, so they do this test where they drop church bells into it. And turns out they can't find the bottom. But what they end up doing inadvertently, very very Stranger Things-ish, is it turns out the bottom of this lake isn't bottomless, but it is a portal to another world of course. where dragons live. Sure. And when they dropped the bells down there, it woke the dragons up, and now the dragons have come out of the lake to eat people. And since they dropped the bells, the dragons are eating seven children a night. And they have to build big mechs to fight them. That's Almost. Pacific Rim. Almost. They have to build a big pie. Follow me. They the uh, <laughs> they hire some knights to kill the dragons, but the knights are weak and they just get eaten every time. Just snap, 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 eaten. So the dragons are happy. They're like, "This is a buffet. This is great." And so there's one of the guys in the town decides, "You know what? We're gonna die. The only thing we can do to fight this is maybe we could poison the dragon. Let's build him a Trojan horse of pie. Let's make this enormous pie full of poison, full of rotten, horrible shit." And we'll feed it to him, and that'll kill him, and then we can all live in peace again. So he brings the pie to the dragon. The dragon swats it away and refuses uh, to eat it and criticizes the baker's, like, intelligence. And then eats the baker's oxen that had to haul this enormous pie. And while he is eating the oxen, the dragon, uh, like, licks his fingers, which happen to contain poison pie residue after he swatted it away, which kills him. And so it occurs to me that if Thomas Harris is putting in a tiny little breadcrumb of Clarice Starling has AIDS, and she will, and if she gets eaten by Hannibal Lecter, that would be a very funny way to poison the dragon. <laughs> that would be... It would, be, it would be a funny way to poison the dragon. This is a classic fairy tale? It's apparently a fairy tale that is integral to the identity of this very specific town in England. Huh. Um, so they had where, portal legends even back then? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, it was uh, apparently this town had the, the, the St. Mary, uh, Mary Magdalene Church in this town has supposedly used to have eight bells, but now it only has six because two were used to summon a dragon. And it has a plaque, like to this day, a, a plaque to a nameless hero baker who gave a pie to a dragon to kill it to the point where they apparently also have like, like other iconography around the town's identity of this being a thing. Like stained glass of a guy giving a dragon pie. Huh. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. If that's his point, if that's where this goes with this AIDS bullshit, uh, that would be cool. But otherwise, uh, I I think it's, look, I I think it's pretty, uh, 
the the way AIDS was treated in the 80s and, and early 90s uh, was, I think, unnecessarily demonizing of the people who were afflicted with it. Sure. Um, and it, I think that if, if this book adds to that, I'll be disappointed. I think that's all I'm saying. Sure. Is I will that's... be disappointed if this if this book makes AIDS the bad guy. Because that, that's that's fair. Because that's just that's just it's uh, I'm not. It's maybe it's just a product of its time, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but it's not it's not something I'm excited about. So anyway, uh, I just want to get that ahead of time. So if I'm a amazing prophet, then I get rewarded. And if not, we'll just forget this ever happened. Sounds good to me. Okay. Do you have any other notes in this chapter? I have a couple other notes. One's just a little one. He refers to the car that shows up with um, gunmen in it as a Crip gunship. I just yeah. thought that was great. I'm sure, I'm sure it's a police term, not a Thomas Harris term, but I liked it. I thought it was oh, just visually evocative. I loved it. I, I agree. I thought that the that – I got exactly what he was saying. It, it Like the, the idea of how the, the car was used, what it was used for, why it needed to be a certain kind of vehicle all made complete sense when he used that term. Yeah. Uh, my last two notes are at the very end and involve the uh, baby being washed off. I just have an overall note, so you should go with those. Okay. First of all, there's this great line as she sweeps all of the knives and fish guts off the cutting board so she can put the baby down so she can watch the HIV positive blood off of it. Water flying, a mocking rainbow of God's promise in the spray, sparkling banner over a work of his blind hammer. And I just felt like, oh, we're back. There's Thomas's, <laughs> Thomas Harris's... Uh, sardonic writing. And it reminded me, and also I feel this book incepted me once upon a time because early on in the process of being a new parent, my wife sat on the on the couch with our baby and I brought her a... Uh, I'm, I've never done this before, but like I had the hottest piping hot tomato sauce on ravioli that I was bringing her to eat. And of course I slipped and it all just slid off onto my child's prone tummy. And this, the wail of a scalded baby is not one you ever want to hear. Wow. First thing I did though, is grab the child and went over to the sink and spray it all off with cool water. And I think this book is what put that in my head to do. So thank you, Thomas Harris for making oh, wow. it not so bad. Oh, well, that is a sweeter story than it started, but <laughs> horrific. I'm sorry you had to experience that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. She had a blister. I felt like shit for oh, still. I'm sorry, man. Thanks. Uh, that sucks. One time when I was a baby, mm. my dad uh, was, I, I don't know exactly how it was happening, but he was feeding me like hot dogs and one of them got lodged in my throat and he had to like reach his finger in to, to scoop it out to save my life. You don't feed a baby hot dogs. But also I'm well, glad you're okay. Thanks. Um, but it's a. I just, I just, I just, I could only hear my mother in law like, hot dogs are a perfect size for blocking the windpipe. Why would you feed a child hot dogs? And I'm just like, I, I've had this lecture, so I had to pass it off. Yeah, no, um, yeah. Should I ever uh, procreate, uh, hot dogs are off the menu. <laughs> and if they should be on the menu, they will be diced. Or yeah. a paste, a nice, lovely yeah. paste. Yeah, you pick a hot dog oh, paste hot dog on a on a on a taco, there you go. and everything will be fine. Or a slight, like soft burrito, like mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. tortilla. Slip that anyway. hot dog right into the taco. Oh God. Um, 
really not where I was going, but now I'm ashamed. Any more notes, or I'm going to go into my overall? Nope, I have no more notes. This chapter pushed me to a place where I am comfortable saying I actually hate reading action. I get confused by the short, non-descriptive sentences necessary to convey short bursts of excitement. They just don't paint a clear enough picture of what's happening on the page for me to follow along. What does sitting in the back window mean? Did the body... Did the bad lady shoot from a gun concealed under the baby blanket? Not being able to tell significantly detracts from the enjoyment of reading. Yes. I think sitting in the back window might have been there was no back window. No, no. I think I I haven't I think I know exactly what it means now. Oh, okay. But it took me it took the context of later chapters to clarify. Gotcha. Oh, okay, okay. And that's okay. the problem. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. So yeah. so what he, so imagine a car like this, right? Mm-hmm. So back window to me means the actual back window the window that's above the trunk right that's not what he was happening oh that's not where he was sitting he was sitting on the, the back side passenger window on the door frame like he was sitting on his butt like on the door hanging out the window arms over the hood shooting oh okay see that and and, and what happened to that character was the the car slid into other cars which pinned him That's in why his he position was for okay. between yeah. another car and the car he was sitting halfway that in. makes sense yep yep it, it, it does make sense but the way he wrote it only makes sense later you're 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 actually describing or your confusion describes what I was doing which was just like uh sure he was yeah. shooting at her somehow and he's dead he's crushed okay moving on so, yes, exactly. I, I did and, the same thing. I did I did that same sort of look, okay, I don't understand what's happening, but I'm moving on. But that's where the criticism needs no, to it, be. No, it, it makes it because because his pacing is making me read faster because it's exciting. Right. right. And because of that, I don't want to spend too much time mulling on the intricacies. So yeah, I totally it totally makes sense. You're, even if he had criticism. said even if he had just said the back passenger window. Right. It could have been a little more efficient for what he was trying to convey. Yeah. Yeah. Just 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 that little bit more of like spe- specificity. Because to me, uh, like I said, back window means above the trunk. That's not where this character was anyway. Or like like the guns under the baby blanket. Um, For me, while I was reading it, I was constantly wondering if there was actually a baby involved. Like mm-hmm. before before T- Starling takes the baby and cleans it and it's clearly a baby. Uh, I wondered, is this a prop? Is this a a, th- a fake baby that they are, you know, setting up so that they can be prepared to, like, pretend that she has this thing there? And um, is that baby going to be deaf now? That's what, another thing I was wondering about. All this gunfire. Like, okay, I know somebody who had to have their eardrums, like, replaced. I don't know how this works, but somehow she had a surgery where they replaced her eardrum with what I was told was literally an infant's eardrum. And her infant eardrum that's now in her ear was so sensitive to sound early on. Like, so incredibly sensitive that she, like, would oftentimes wince at what I thought were normal volume levels sure. of things. So, I imagine this kid's done. Like, is probably fully deaf, is likely unrecoverably uh, hindered in his life. But I, I was also assuming... We're never going to hear about this kid again. I so, think we never hear about this kid again. So it's fine. But anyway, it really it, it struck me because this isn't a criticism I have of just this book. We criticize the action in all of the uh, Salvatore books, too. Oh, absolutely. Where it's just the the there seems to be a 
an in maybe it's an inability for me to comprehend or an inability for writers to communicate the way action works on the page. I feel I'm sure like you have you know dramatic writers and and western authors and horror authors there are probably some that are good at action. Mhm. Um this just isn't one of those. It's an action yeah. scene in uh the hands of someone who's not as comfortable writing action. Yeah. Tension, he's great at tension like like where's Hannibal in the building the cops are looking for him. That's closer to action but it's not, you know, hard action. It's just it's it's suspense. This hard action scene not not as not as well done. He's also great at, at uh, horrific shit, and I, sure. I like, he, he's really good at, at making you feel uneasy with cruelty. Um, mm-hmm. He's good at all that, but action, I felt like, was lacking in this. Maybe later it'll it'll perk up, um, or maybe he won't have scenes quite as heavy hit. Yeah, uh, that. Then we're moving on to chapter two. Starling <laughs> said it. <clears throat> Back to the washing machine. It's my fun little title. Half my titles are, hey, somebody's back, or hey, this is back, or back to that. So it's not that fun. Maybe I'll just skip it. Uh, Starling makes it home and washes her clothes. She's been shot in the ear, but had surgery to fix it up. She lives in a duplex with uh, Ardelia Map. Apparently, no bug zoo man keeps her warm at night. Nope. Um, so my, my fun little title, Back to the Washing Machine, the last book ended with her... So oh yeah, yeah. The washing machine. I'm just I'm saying that for everyone. No, no. Uh, I'm glad you are because I didn't make a note about it, but I did notice it, and it made me think of two things. One, oh, it's interesting that part of Clarice's character is finding comfort in cleaning up messes. Mm-hmm. I think there's another element there in that reminded me of uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. This idea of like doing laundry is in that movie, I think, used metaphorically to represent like mundanity. Like mm-hmm. the things that we get tired of doing, um, th- that also are a cycle. You know, they're constantly uh, continuing to need to be done over and over and over again, and uh, that can be, you know, the doldrum of that can be oppressive. And I think that there's, it's interesting to see Clarice finding comfort in that, which we saw this other character find torment in. Well, I think part of it is Clarice uses that nebulous time between the starting and ending of laundry that's like a a buffer zone for her her, her it's 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 downtime like i'm i'm actively doing something to make the house cleaner but also i can just chill and you know lean next to the thrumming of the washing machine which as described in the last book is similar to being in the womb right and she can just have a breather there right so it's it's it's, it's very telling of i'm very glad you brought that up um so my note in this chapter is there's this there's a line the washing machine and clothes dryer hoses are clamped in place with plastic handcuff strips which amusingly suggests um office supplies starling brings home mm-hmm. being the uh, the handcuff strips but also shows um the profound isolation clarice has little outside the bureau and even that is still being roommates with ardelia yes yes but i also found that her roommateness with ardelia is i like it I'm great. I'm gr- glad for her to have that. I don't hate it. It's just there's almost nothing to her life besides the FBI. Yes, that's even her true. friends are FBI. Stuff at home is FBI. The stuff she brings home is handcuff strips to you know fix the washing machine. Everything is her. Her identity 
she's not identified by the work. She's only allowing herself to be identified by her work. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. All right. Chapter three, Clarice and Ardelia watch the news, which for some reason shows all the brutal footage of her violent encounter with the drug gang. Clarice reads an article from the Tatler on the story while recovering from her wounds. The tabloid suggests she's under investigation, suspended with pay, and expected to be sued by the survivors of her shootout. Hey, the Tattler's back. That's my only note is, is this the first we've heard of the Tattler since Red Dragon? I think so. There may have been a line in Science of Lambs, but I thought it was a savvy decision to bring it back because it's a less ham-handed segue to bring up Lecter and his nickname, since they're the ones yes. who, who invented the nickname. But also an interesting note in this chapter is speaking of nicknames is that they don't refer to uh james gum as mr hyde they refer to him as buffalo bill Mm. so even though there was that weird addendum at the end of silence of the lambs of they changed his name now to mr hyde they wish they had always had that name or whatever i think it was mr hyde right Mm -hmm. um that we're probably because of the success of the film I would and the think, establishment I would think. of Buffalo Bill is the yeah. name of the guy. It uh, he it's interesting that the Tatler referred to James Gum as to me it was interesting that he referred to him as Buffalo Bill. They keep Clarice's dad being a night watchman, whereas in the movie he was I think a sheriff. Right. Um. So already you have to deal with that. So yes, I think exactly. The public knew Buffalo Bill. Tom Sarah's like ah whatever. Right. We'll make we'll make we'll keep it Buffalo Bill. Yeah. Um, Bunch of movie I mean, watching plebeians. It's a I'm matter. Thomas Harris. <laughs> Mr. Hyde's a dumb name. Yeah, but arguably many. Uh, I mean, every it, the media can be dumb. The news <gasps> media can be dumb. What? The um everything gate for a scandal instead of oh, coming God. up something new. Yeah. It's baby gate. Balloon it's gate. Balloon gate. Jesus Christ. There's a million other things you can do. Watergate was a thing once. Move on. But wasn't it Watergate a thing because that was the, literally the fucking name of the hotel? Right. Like, it wasn't like... They, right. Like, gate wasn't a, a suffix for scandal. Right. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's so incredibly obnoxious to me. Yeah. No, it's dumb. Anyways. Yeah. Um, I don't have any other notes in that chapter. So if you also don't, then uh, we are going to go to chapter three. Jack's Clarice... back four. <clears throat> what was that? I didn't hear that. Was... Four. Chapter four. We're going to go to chapter four. Jack's back. <laughs> <laughs> the FBI director tells Jack Crawford Clarice is going to take the fall for the botched drug bust and sternly directs Jack to stay out of it. I get the feeling he won't. <laughs> Do you have any notes? Um, no, but a little more. If you're if you're not reading along, you mm, illiterate listeners, then um, <sighs> let wow. me say that in this this chapter is actually set in like a gym. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack and the FBI director are sort of jogging together and exercising while they discuss this issue. So um, it's not just it, he was. I want to make it clear that he uh, Jack wasn't brought into somebody's office to be you know scolded or anything. Right. He. He was he was sort of more social than that, right? Um, couple of cha- couple of notes I have. I looked because it said the re- FBI was renting offices for their sting from Sun Myung Moon, mm-hmm. it was a real religious leader. 
mm-hmm. and businessman, uh, also a Messiah claimant. Great. Uh, he might be the Moonies. I don't. I'm not sure. Uh, but then, similarly to Messiah claimant, the FBI director or Jack, I don't remember who, mentions Waco. Yes. Um, which the siege on David Koresh's compound was 1993. Uh, they seem to be speaking about it recently, saying someone took the fall for Waco. And if Science of Lambs happened seven years ago, which they say, you know, she killed Jim Gum seven years ago, that puts the book setting around 93 to 95-ish, which fits with Science of Lambs' book timeline of 86-ish. Yes, and so, and with the Marion Barry thing. Fitting with Marion Barry who would recently have been elected if it's early 95 and yes. would be very hard on drugs because he's coming in trying to look good. Yeah, he's got so, to make up for it. I'm going to I'm going to call this book 95. It feels like a 95 book. I'm yeah. I'm going to I like that. I like I like deciding that. Okay. Um any other notes? Nope. Chapter 5. The first St- sniff. Still reeling from her ordeal, Clarice receives a letter from Hannibal Lecter. He says he's been following the destruction of her career and challenges her to be strong in the face of all this pressure. While his letter is coarse and almost rude, he ends it by complimenting Starling, calling her an element, something between steel and iron. Which Steel and iron? Wasn't it steel and iron? I thought steel it was silver and iron. Silver and iron. Yeah. My bad. Silver. It must be silver and iron. Yeah. You're steel, right. You're right. An Steel's alloy. an alloy. Not that it will ever come up again, but I'm going to change it in my notes. <laughs> Silver and iron, yes. So the idea of being tough but beautiful mm-hmm. is what he's tr- basically saying to her. It w- what a remarkable letter, mm. I thought. Like like, um, like I said, it was simultaneously almost like cruel in some ways, uh, but all, like like it was very much a Hannibal Lec- letter, Lecter letter um, where he was cruel but also like showing that he has he has I, high regard for her. He sees the whole picture. Yes, yes. He yes, he exactly. He has the capacity to see all of these things all at once mm-hmm. and be able to acknowledge yes, it's okay for this it's okay for my analysis of this thing to be n- critical but also complimentary. Mm-hmm. Like I find that sometimes when I talk about movies with people, I I find myself I find that the response is almost a like focus on the negative thing I said without recognizing that I also said like larger picture here. I, I get, I said a lot of complimentary things like, right. you know, um, trying to think of, of oh, oh, like, like uh, I had a conversation with my, 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 my dad recently about my criticisms of North by Northwest, um, which are that it's a, incredibly produced film it looks great it has a lot of production quality a lot of great acting um in all those ways that are good it's great uh if you want a movie that makes any goddamn sense it isn't that (laughs) um and that and that's unfortunately for me something i i can't ignore for the the trees if you will like it's Mm -hmm. like yes okay it's fun but this this shit doesn't make sense and it also aligns and i'm sure i've talked about this on the podcast before but it aligns with a lot of the criticisms i have of alfred hitchcock as a director which are numerous and persistent so um but like i think that's what hannibal's doing with starling he's saying you have all these issues but also all these qualities right absolutely um 
Do you have any uh, notes in this chapter? Similar, similar. Uh, I, I really enjoyed Starling taking in the letter before realizing who it was from. The envelope was mauve with silky threads in the fine linen paper and like alarm bells start to go off that she's not even mm-hmm. processing yet. Right. Uh, lines from the letter I really liked. Um, after the addicts busted a cap on your daddy. Uh, the grunts and poetry of love. And then my favorite, like, Carl Sagany line, we are elaborations of carbon. Yeah. I just, I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's just, that's just amazing. It's profound. Yeah. Uh, I love the letter and it's indicative, I think, of how the book is different. It's less of a hunt and more of an exploration. Yeah. Of characters. Okay. My, I have an overall note of Please. the chapter here, which is just that um, another sort of theory I think Hannibal wants to be caught. I say here, if there is a god, he's offering himself to Starling as a prize to save her career and pull her out of the hell of indignity she's been sentenced to. Hmm. And I'm I'm hopeful that that's sort of the thing that's happened because I don't see another good reason why he would give such a strong lead like a letter. Like, we got to imagine, this is seven years after Silence of the Lambs. Uh-huh. So how old is he at this point? I'm going to say he's... I'm going to say he went in early 40s, so he might be like 49, 50. Really? Yeah. I'm, I was always imagining him far older. I'm, I'm Cast Mickelson in your mind. Yeah, okay, fair enough. But I, I was... I'm, and I'm actually casting... I'm casting someone more like... Um, Hopkins? I guess now, yeah, but I'm really I'm thinking of someone like all the people I'm thinking of are from ten years ago. So unfortunately, it's like I can't use them. But yeah, I'm thinking of like an older man, like who may be like on his way out. Is kind of what I was thinking. Like interesting. Like uh, oh, like did you ever read that um, Kevin Smith's Daredevil? I have. Run? I don't remember it. The end of the spoilers. If you haven't read it, I think I even the, have a signed copy somewhere. The end of the issue is essentially or the end of the arc is um, a lot of what he the character's been going through has all been a illusion crafted by Mysterio, the Spider-Man villain, who is trying who is going out on one last hurrah because all of the chemicals in the the illusions and smoke that he's used for decades has given him cancer, and I think it ends with him basically putting a gun in his own mouth and blowing his brains out. So I was kind of imagining it being a little bit like that, where Lecter is like, you know what? I know I'm on my way out. Let's have some fun before I go. Interesting. Interesting. So that's that's kind of the, the picture I'm painting, and uh, I'm ready for I'm ready for whatever comes next. We'll see what happens. All right. You're done with that chapter? I am. Chapter six. Mason. Oh, Mason. That's a sick inside joke. Oh, I'm so proud of that. If I have to explain it, which I will. (laughs) You ever see the movie? Am I involved in this inside joke? No. You ever see the show Dead Like Me? (laughs) No. Ellen Muth plays George Lass, and she's a dead person helping. She's an agent of death and helps ferry people to the other side. Another one, another compatriot of hers is a guy named Mason. Who, when he's introduced, her her narrative narration over narration thingy goes, Mason, oh Mason. And that show is created by Brian Fuller, who went on to create Hannibal, which 
cameo George, uh, uh, Ellen Muth as Georgia Machen. So uh, <laughs> it's pretty good. It's not not good. It's just <laughs> so convoluted. I hope I hope that when Brian Fuller listens to this, I hope he is flattered <laughs> not a shit. and and appreciative of your commitment to his to to appreciating him. Yep. <laughs> Okay. okay. Um, summary, <laughs> which I s- promised I'd stop saying. We meet Mason Verger. Not a full introduction, but we get an idea for how mangled his body is and how machines and assistants help him cope with his disabilities. Mm-hmm. He reads the Tatler article on Clarice and then reads the letter, letter she received from Hannibal Lecter. I am curious how he obtained the letter. I'm sure all will be revealed. Mm. Um, only note I have is I believe Mason is worse than the show or the movie showed us, both physically and mentally. Yeah. It's like far darker and far more mutilated. The way they describe his hair is really bothersome for me. How so? Um, well, like Harris describes Mason's hair as being extremely long and braided, basically like, like, like woven. Yeah. In itself, uh, why wouldn't they just fucking cut it? Because <laughs> he's the one in charge and wants to keep it growing. Yeah, that's weird. It's it is gross. Weird. No, no, it's absolutely gross. No, a, a, a coil of hair on his chest, that's so disgusting. It's gross. It's really, really gross. I, But I, I it's... Uh, Mason's not, not gross? Yeah, I know. It's just gross. Yeah. Anyway, so that's I, not I, something I'd seen in any of the other depictions, uh, was that, that. So, there it is. Mm-hmm. Any more notes on that one? All right. Uh, chapter seven. Facing the music. Starling is confronted by FBI and interagency men of authority and questioned about the botched drug bust. Harris suggests this meeting is not a friendly interview or debrief, but rather an interrogation and execution. Starling appears to defend herself aggressively and well. The fate of her career is unclear at the end of the chapter. I liked this chapter. I, I thought it was fun. No, I, that's it. I thought it was a fun chapter to read. I thought that the 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 moment where Starling calls out the guy who's wearing a wire was great, very well paced, very well like written. It's just it just worked. It was it, it, very it, satisfying. Like I know it's not politically savvy, but it was very fun to watch her take on the old men. Yeah, and and it was also like she it, it showed how she is not going to be trampled underfoot. Like right. she's, and I'm sure this has to do, you say, well, I think it has a lot to do with her being a, a woman. Like it has a lot to do with her having a lot of experience dealing with men like this. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and being, yeah. yeah, extremely adept at handling that kind of, uh, dismissal. All the shit she had to put up with in the first chapter too, about the guys not listening to her. Yep. Um, yeah, same. Even the comment in that first chapter about don't think you're going to watch me and her, her mud wrestle. Right. This idea that like she I, she understands that it would be that they might think it's fun to right. think of her as as a as a not an equal because it would be fun to watch her and another girl wrestle. Right. And she's like she, she that comment don't don't want think you're going to watch us mud wrestle is like saying I I am an equal. 
you have to think of me as an equal and it sucks that she has to do that right it sucks that she has to live in a world where she needs to make that you don't think about me as an equal people are going to die oh look what happened right um i really liked it well first of all i want to go back to the very beginning of it when they're introducing everything here and she's reading the words fidelity bravery integrity that really mm. is the FBI's motto, motto, which I feel is trying a little hard. Well, I think it's maybe, but it's also like in this in a world, you know, ready and willing to be corrupted and just waiting for people with authority to, to take more than they should. Uh, it's actually a really comforting thing to insist. No, for real. That's what we're about. Oh, I have no problem with that at all. My problem is the fact that they chose words that match their initials. Oh, I didn't see that. Fidelity, bravery, integrity. Got it. B I. Okay. (laughs) It's Christmas, Theo. It's the time for miracles. (laughs) Uh, Also, I really like the line where the guy excuses himself and comes back in saying, okay, basically the hearing's over, and Paul Krindler. was alert and it said he was suddenly alert to the scent of politics. Yeah. Which I think, I think it's fair to say some back, back, backseat psychology. Thomas Harris clearly has a very sensitive nose. (laughs) I mean, somebody was annoyed by the scent of somebody's watch band in this book or the last book. Um, and we know how sensitive Hannibal is to smell. She she talks about this how stinky the van is. Yeah, when they're driving to the bus, and how uh, something along the lines of like no amount of deodorant can mask the heat of or uh, the of sitting in a hot van or something. Well, like and that. there was like, a line where like he raised his arm and yeah, that's the one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're right. Or or then he she lists all the different brands of of like cologne that they yeah. all use and like or or. Or deodorant that they use. Yeah, he. I think that's a fair uh, observation. Um, okay. So, All right. Moving on to chapter eight. Behavioral scientists. Crawford and Starling discuss the events of her interrogation by FBI officials. Jack comes clean. He tipped off Mason Verger, an early survivor of Hannibal's appetites, that should Starling be fired for the drug bust, it would significantly hamper the FBI's ability to catch Dr. Lecter. Verger, the heir of a wealthy meatpacking industry and inheritant of a congressman or two, made the appropriate calls and saved Starling's career. Now, she has to hunt Hannibal. Um, I have a page 55 note. Okay. Uh, Harris's observation of the difference between understanding and empathy is one I wish more people kept closer in their minds. It's funny, because I think... My one note is about this paragraph, too. So shall we read this paragraph? Go for it. On really short acquaintance, he told me some things about myself that were true. I think it's easy to mistake understanding for empathy. We want empathy so badly. Maybe learning to make that distinction is part of growing up. It's hard and ugly to know somebody can understand you without even liking you. Which I feel contains Thomas Harris's thesis statement for these entire books. Yes. Boiled down to, we want empathy so badly. Yes. And all the different permutations of that and explorations and how it can be used against you. That's what these entire, all these books are about. That's your, I think you're entirely right. That is exactly the, the crux. Well, I would say the driving force behind mm. both uh, James gum and Francis Dollarhide are men who 
could not find empathy and or understanding mm-hmm. i think and without it lashed out against the cruel world that denied them such basic compassions right and i i think that that is i think that is exactly what he's he's analyzing here and just calling them evil is is not big enough no it's 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 just a continuation of the failure failure of finding empathy right it's just it's more of the same that caused the problem in the first place um i really 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 wish like more people could get that. i also wish in the way that people could get that like sometimes you don't deserve empathy or sometimes you're not going to be uh, it's not going to change what's going to happen or or you're not going to be uh, afforded it like like sure like like okay like look yes i uh, i can understand your situation I can also understand that you are entirely responsible for the results of your actions and you knowing those risks and knowing those results have continued to make poor choices that have led you to mm-hmm. a situation where you desperately want empathy and for someone to come make it all better, but you will not get this because right. the, that's of what, your You're choices. not going to get that resolution. Right. Like you might get and the I, empathy, but you're not going to get that resolution. Right. Right. Um, but even the empathy can be denied in those situations, I think, is what I'm saying. Like, you could say, like, like, look, I'm sorry. I don't feel bad for you. I simply don't. Go ahead. I, I always think maybe I have the wrong end of this, but but I always think, like, that's the difference for me between sympathy and empathy. We're like, mm. I'll feel bad for you, but it's not going to change anything. Hmm. I'm not going to be on your side. It's like like a rabid dog, you know, like, I, this is heartbreaking. I feel bad. I understand that you're miserable and and mad, and everything is pain to you. I'm still going to put you down. Yeah. Well, maybe it's. Uh, but I could be wrong too on 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 which one's which. Well, maybe it's maybe it's a good time for an early new word alert. We're going to simply just look up the words empathy and sympathy and just have it out. We're going to have it out. Let's do it. Empathy. Uh, noun. The action of understanding, being aware of, being sensitive to, and vicariously experiencing the feelings, thoughts, and experience of another, of either the past or present, without having the feelings, thoughts, and experience fully communicated in an objectively explicit manner. So to me... That is the, I, that to me is like the feeling, like the f- feeling the bad feelings. I think the difference is feeling those, like you're, um, you're taking on those feelings yourself with empathy. You're like, oh God, I can, I can, I feel like I'm experiencing that from a distance. Mm-hmm. Like it's that vicarious feeling of like, like you told me that you burned your baby with hot tomato soup and I felt the... I felt all of the disappointment and shock and and regret that I imagine rushed through your body mm-hmm. in those moments. Mm-hmm. I felt that was empathy. The sympathy came, I believe, from me me expressing, "Hey man, I'm sorry you went through that." Yeah. Okay. I think that is the difference. It's like, but we're going to look up the word sympathy now. I'm not going to look up all the other definitions of empathy. It was tomato sauce. Excuse me. Sympathy. <laughs> Noun. An affinity, association, or relationship between persons or things, wherein whatever affects one similarly affects the other. 
mutual or parallel susceptibility, or a condition brought about by it. So, so like... Ah, here we go. Okay. Inclination to think or feel alike. So, like, in Batman Forever, when Chris O'Donnell was like, you don't know what it's like to have your parents killed by an insane madman. And Val Kilmer was like, yes, I do. That was sympathy. Um, I think it was... Uh, yeah. Because they are actually both experiencing the same thing. It's not a... Well, who knows, man? But I, I think it, I think that it's the important thing is that the difference between empathy and understanding is the ability to take in all of that information but not feel mm-hmm. the same feelings. Like, I have almost no empathy, and I don't mean this. I feel like there's an implication there that I have like only judgment or scorn. I feel like the, when it makes it clear, I think that's the thing Thomas Harris is defining is that the lack of empathy isn't scornfulness. It is simply blanket comprehension. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't have any direct feelings or empathy when it comes to things like we just cele- celebrated, we just observed the uh, an anniversary of the Challenger uh, disaster. Mm-hmm. I don't, it was before my time. I don't have any feelings about that. It didn't affect me in a in a personal way I, it just keeps coming up every once in a while when people want to somehow like ruminate on those sorrowful feelings again so i understand i have the understanding it is a tragedy but i don't have the empathy of those feelings about it like the people who lived through that event would right i imagine it's very similar to kids who have who can comprehend that 911 is a thing but because they weren't there, they didn't live through the experience, whatever that experience would have been for every individual. Right. It, it, I imagine that there's people out there who think of it sort of clinically. I, I mean, that's a better way to look at it. Is, 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 is I think that's the distinction for me. is clinical understanding versus emotional emp- empathy. Sure. So, okay. and, and I think that's a really, the point is, I think that's a really important thing that Thomas Harris touches on because I feel that a lot. Of like, like I feel like I can look at someone and say, I can ded- some people I can deduce that from your behaviors you are making choices based on things you're not announcing aloud. You're making choices because you, uh, be- based on shame or personal pride or these other feelings that you were trying to hide, but like you're you 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 can't you don't feel like you're strong enough or, or brave enough or whatever to or shameless enough to just say no i i'm doing this because i want attention because i want that confirmation that i have value i can i have the capacity to look at people who do that and say i can observe your motivations and i can understand them but they're not for me i don't have those same feelings Mm -hmm. and i don't i don't really empathize with those feelings because i think they're weakness (laughs) i think that that stuff is not serving people so that was the thing that struck the chord of me on my and my personal experience was that same sort of thing. That like I said, I, I wish people could comprehend that when when you say something to them, like with that analysis, like, hey, feel like you're doing this based on this other trauma you've experienced, to be able to recognize, oh, this person's handing me a life raft, not an accusation or a criticism or a tomato. Like, I'm not trying to embarrass you by announcing your vulnerabilities. I'm just trying to get you past it. Right. Because maybe if you can recognize this is a this is a thing you that motivates you and is negative and it's clear to other people, maybe you can get over it. 
not super successful, but that doesn't mean I'll stop trying, I guess. Good. Anyway, do you have any more notes in that chapter? Chapter eight. No. Okay. Then chapter nine. Muskrat love. <laughs> Clarice interviews Mason Verger, who makes clear his preference for molesting children. A revelation made all the more horrific by the fact that he runs a state-sponsored daycare for underprivileged children out of his home. Starling listens and records their conversation about how Hannibal fed Mason a drug cocktail that made him so susceptible to suggestion that he carved off his own nose and lips and fed them to his dogs at Hannibal's suggestion. Said suggestion twice, sorry. All of this while Hannibal observed Mason practice autoerotic asphyxiation. Mason has a lead on Hannibal's whereabouts, an x-ray of someone who has had a sixth finger removed from their left hand in Rio de Janeiro. After Starling leaves, Mason calls a child from the daycare into his chambers. He verbally abused the child and tells the small boy that if he doesn't feed his pet cat rat poison, the foster home will kick him out and he won't be able to live with the people who like him anymore. Mason's nurse dabs up the boy's tears with a small sterile swatch before dropping the tear-stained fabric into Mason's martini glass. I feel like all of that's important yeah. to know about this, this chapter and this character. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a rough chapter. I guess. I mean, I liked it. Uh, I liked it, but I just, I was just, I, I don't like reading. What was it, Franklin? Yeah, being mentally tortured by Mason. It's, it's awful. I mean, it completely paints a picture of Mason, which is great, but also it was just, it sucked to experience. Yeah, it also felt like the kind of thing where it's like, oh wow, I could see a cruel person doing this to a child. Yeah, like I felt like this feels like a very realistic kind of abuse that, that would actually hurt a child. Right. Like. You're talking about someone who's vulnerable and trusting of adults because adults take care of them and help them understand the cruel world around them. And then to abuse that trust by convincing the child that they need to do something bad or dangerous or or they will lose all the things they care about is exactly how you would manipulate a child into doing something horrible, which is horrific to see it so clearly, uh, so so dutifully depicted. Right. Um, that was rough. But on the other hand, I really like... Uh, how Thomas Harris throws the concept of Christian absolvance under the bus. And <laughs> I like that a lot. What a great takeaway I hadn't thought of. Yes, he does. Um, because every time Mason unearths another pearl of awfulness from his past, he says, but it's fine because... It's not just a pearl of awfulness drop. Every time Mason lovingly reflects on the child abuse he's inflicted on others, and specifically over the across the world where he's gone abusing people, okay, okay, and, there, and there abusing, we go. There we go. And abusing children, slaughtering in some cases, S- yeah, actually yes. murdering people, M- murdering people, not just yeah, not just uh raping and molesting but also like using a guillotine yes with I, I, like, like, just yeah just, um i i want to come back to that we're not there sorry, yet. But sorry. no it's fine no but, but all all of like that it's not yes it is he lovingly 
talks up like reflects on this great period of his life and then says yeah but it's all fine because i got absolvents <laughs> it's all taken care of it's all been handled yeah god will forgive me have you accept jesus christ into your life because i have and it means that everything i've ever done is fine now i love that i love i love that because i don't know on a personal note that shit's always bothered me about the saved mm-hmm. um I, okay i i was telling you before about hearing that story about the the pie eating dragon mm-hmm. another part of that i was listening to a, another podcast on Podbean where that story was conveyed uh is myth the myths and legends podcast um check them out they uh in in that same episode they talked about this other story about uh this this guy who was running away from his basically his family and claiming that witches had bewitched him anyway at the end of that the the host of the podcast made an observation that was i thought incredibly like insightful and something i wanted to remember uh because it was so powerfully like nail on the head kind of thing he said that true power is living without consequence and i thought holy shit yes that is real power you can you can do anything you want to anybody but if you live in a world where consequences apply to you you can't quote get away with it right unless you are truly privileged and powerful and that's what mason is Mason is so in, he's displaying his capacity and his privilege and his power here by by being an avatar for the corrupt wealthy he's by being a person. It. He, yeah, well, yes, but I mean, as Thomas Harris is depicting him mm, gotcha. as a he's the symbol of this concept. Yes. He's 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 composed of all these elements of the honestly the the most sinister corruption we see in the world. These massively wealthy abusive people who destroy not only the planet but each other and others like so that they can live without consequence of their actions we have like very 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 high profile political leaders right now who are in it's sort of the job of journalism is to try to hold those people to account and we see a lot of that in in the american politics right now mm-hmm. either from people pretending to be people that they're not and have credentials they're not to attain seats in power or from straight up undermining like checks and balances in our federal government system to get away with enriching themselves and uh you know crushing their enemies before them so it which okay so that's a really good inside joke because thomas harris uses that line in this chapter i've got a note on it we'll come back to it Stick here because I got I've got a note that references what you're talking about. I was trying to do a double take on your Mason O Mason thing. Yeah, it was well, like, you know. it, it, yeah, I guess okay. I did it anyway. Well, I, that's what I I love about this is that in this chapter he he really shows through Mason these are the real horrific evils of our society right now. Right. And if you if you're convinced, and the thing that's so sinister about them is a lot of them want you to believe that they're not they're not evil. But holy shit, are they? And let's talk about how they are. So there you go. Please, please jump off. Um, just, just, I had this chapter made me realize that this book is more of a Clash of the Titans story or a classic monsters versus monsters story. 
and that gets because this is basically Mason's in this corner. You have this horrible monster, right? Uh, introduction chapter, and I, I liked everything you said. I think I agree with all of it. That, that's it. I, ha- I have I have notes too in this oh, chapter. Yeah, um, I figured. Page notes. Uh, I have sixty-two. Is anything before sixty-two? Oh, 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 I have something near the very beginning when Starling is describing the farm. You should talk about that. It amused me. They listed all the different things they had, all the different animals. There's one line, there were no dogs. And I feel like that was conscious because it's it's just by itself. It's like, there was this, there was that, there were sheep. There were, there there were, were ponies for the children. Ponies for the children. There were no dogs. Or there, there are no dogs. And I think Mason's over dogs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. He's had his fill. Yeah, so have they. Or um, likewise. Uh, and then uh, Starling's Mustang. What that it's like? Oh, that she wants to race it with? No, 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 no. We're not even there. Just I've never heard a Starling's '88 Roche Mustang. I'm like, what is that? And I looked it up and it led me down this um, rabbit hole of professional aftermarket company Roche R O U S H. So a Roche Mustang is different than a regular Mustang because they have totally souped it up. In oh. a very specific way. And it took me a long time to understand it because they were offering Rush Mustangs, Rush F-150s, Rush Broncos. And I'm like, what's going on? And then I finally figured it out. But that 88 Rush Mustang, is a, it's it's attractive in an unattractive way. It's boxy. It's like a Volvo Mustang. It's very interesting. Hmm. So would you like to talk about Margot Verger? I would. Because okay, that's good. my first note. Okay, good. Um. It, and my note is on page 62, and it just, it goes like this. Look, this wouldn't be Death Readers, and I wouldn't be me if I didn't take note of this sentence where Clarice wonders if Margot <laughs> takes steroids and has to tape down her clitoris. What an aggressive image to paint. <laughs> my first note after the Mustang. First, don't just Google tape down clitoris. <laughs> you get a lot. A lot that you don't want. In conjunction with steroids, it makes a little bit more sense. Anabolic steroids used in women bodybuilding can lead to an enlarged clitoris. Still, it smacks of Clarice being vulgar the way Hannibal was mentioning popping a cap. Yes. Um, it, it, it seems like she's being a little extra mean and it's like, oh, that's an interesting window into Clarice. That's how she's. Well, but she's also a very matter of fact person. Like, I think that I, I, I see what you're saying. Sure. I, I, I think I would. I don't see her as being that kind of cruel. I see of her just thinking like, this is a thing I understand and I know. I wonder if it applies to this person. I don't necessarily even think she's being mean. It shows me how she would be mean if she was going to. Oh, yeah. It's interesting. Um, so anyway, it's just like, look, that was a sentence that popped out at me. Obviously, it, it pops would. out at everyone. Gotta um, tape that sentence down. Yeah, it's uh, it protrudes for sure. It sort of sticks out of the page and sure says, does. "Look at me. <laughs> I'm not that hard to find." <laughs> Best episode ever. Oh, um, 
right before- I have another line at 66, by the way. <laughs> okay, what's your line? My note at 66. Wait, you were going to say something. My, my, my note is right before Clarice goes into Mason's. Okay. Um, so I'm not sure where yours is. Uh, my, uh, mine will go first. It'll okay. be good. Um, I'm grateful Harris didn't write all of Mason's line with a lipless accent. I'm glad he chose to occasionally mention dropped plosives instead. To remind you how he speaks and right. then just write the text of it. That was yes. interesting. That's an interesting thing. It, it was because I, I remember, I feel like, especially in Red Dragon, he indulged himself a lot more with like writing out the the phonetic he way. Did. You're right. Yeah. That, that like uh, Francis Dollarhide speaks, speaks because, right. of his, because of his uh, – cleft palate right um, almost the way irving welsh writes in 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 scots right um but in this he just writes the text and just reminds you how it's being heard that's a that's a good observation yeah it's 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 dr- a dramatic improvement on the reading experience yeah for me uh, it's like stage directions like dear reader this is how you need to read this yeah um there was a line i, I enjoyed there's a common emotion we all recognize and have not yet named. The happy anticipation of being able to feel contempt. I enjoyed that. You're familiar with that. Nameless feeling. I don't know what you mean. Regarding artwork in Mason's room. Uh-huh. If you were to guess that William Blake's Ancient of Days looks similar in features to its siblings in the Great Red Dragon series, you'd be correct. I, I was wondering if that was... If he was trying to make a suggestion that somehow William Blake is attractive to the merciless. <laughs> I, I'd be interested in knowing how Thomas Harris ran into William Blake or people who liked William Blake in his life. If there was a like inside the author's studio. Yeah. Kind of thing. I think that would be a really good question. I, I wish I wish let, let's get Thomas Harris on the show. And let's ask him a couple questions that are, and we, you know what we'll do? We will send him the questions ahead of time so he'll know we're not just going to fucking say like, oh, how do you feel about Chianti versus the other wine that Rob is all upset about? Instead, we'll say something like, can you take us into the the, the, the thought process behind ch- d- d- choosing to not write uh, Mason's lipless accent phonetically versus when you did do it in red dragon like what was that what was that decision process like right and how is it that you actually view william blake because you 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 sort of align him with uh horrible monsters and 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 murderers and and torturers but also have Um, a you know a a a, a, an eye for it like you yeah you 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 clearly appreciate him it's almost like you can understand it without having empathy so, is there a way, like, how could you explain that to us? Can you give us some insight into that? So, if we write all these out, all these, these questions that I think are insightful and do have, like, a tuned specificity, then perhaps he will uh, come on our show. Oh, yeah. Thomas Harris, famous for giving interviews at a drop of a hat. Um, I think you can find one online ever. <laughs> except but, for uh, us well, maybe always... he'll do it for us because no one listens and it'll be like dude it'll be like talking to nobody um next note sure seems like mason is quoting conan yeah though preliminary research suggests genghis khan said it first 
sure. But my note is, did not expect an oft-quoted Conan the Barbarian line to appear in this book, but there it is. I feel I feel like I feel like Thomas Harris is probably quoting Genghis Khan, but maybe not. But 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 at the same time, like if you don't know that that line is ubiquitous with Conan the Barbarian, then which may not be the right word of the word ubiquitous. Ubiquitous. Um, thanks. It's inseparable from that film. Part and parcel. That. Yeah. Then. Uh, Sword and sorcery. Um, then, <laughs> then, um, Captain Antonio. <laughs> then, uh, then you should. You really should know that, because um, boy, did it do nothing but bring that to my mind. Sure. So, uh, but that's also the end of my notes. Um. There's a really creepy line that I just enjoyed, especially in this chapter where it shows how creepy Mason is. Yeah. She felt his mind prehensile and deep sleeved, different from the vocabulary he used with her. Yeah. It's yeah. Made me feel yucky. Deep sleeved is an interesting word. It is. Why are you looking at Incredible Hulk comics? This is. This was not for the show. This was me doing. This was me doing something for the show, but not for the show. That makes no sense to me. I'm. I'm. We're trying to have a discussion here, and I look over, and you're reading comic book. You're reading the funny papers. Well, now that we're talking about it, Rob, what I was doing was, I had finished my notes, so I was trying to use the time in which you were talking on the show, right? And in and 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 filling the space to look back at a word that i hadn't looked up and put into the new word alert and i was trying to remember where it was so that i could find it look it up on my phone and then have it ready for the impending new word alert but here we are now discussing it well because you know i thought maybe you'd be paying attention to what i was saying but no i can't do more than one thing at once silly pages i can do more than one thing at once and i was uh until you decided to make it the only thing i was doing how do you feel about that? Like I'm still not afforded the attention that I am due. Like what? Say it again. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> um, I just wanted to talk briefly about this. Uh, he nonchalantly mentions slaughtering women and children with Idi Amin. Yeah. How do you how do you just hang out with one of the most reviled dictators? Of all time, like like, shouldn't there be more groundwork for that, or is this? Did Idi Amin just like take on proteges every other month because there's that movie Last King of Scotland where he was hanging out with a journalist? Yeah, I mean maybe he was like maybe he was just really open to hang like hanging out with Westerners. Yeah, um, I don't know much about him, and I I think I may have seen that movie. I don't remember. I think I've seen part of that movie, but is that James McAvoy? I think it's Mac it's McAvoy and Whitaker. Yeah. Um, I, I can't tell you. I, I, it's just a weird thing to drop. Like, hold on. I think we need another 30 pages of just Mason Verger backstory because right. he goes to hang out with Idi Amin to being a sort of shiftless layabout playboy that has court ordered psychotherapy sessions. It was, it's very odd. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I may have misunderstood the way that it was written, but I also took the impression that, not only was he hanging out with and slaughtering people, but that perhaps 
the people he was slaughtering had to assemble their method of death themselves. Like they had to, they had to build the guillotine for him so that was, he could kill them. I don't know if I got that. I got that the soldiers winched it. Oh, okay, maybe that was it. It was, it was something, something in there felt like someone was suggesting that the people who were being murdered were building their own, you know, choosing their own destructor, as it were. Mm. But I'm open to not having been correct on that. Uh, do you have any more notes? Nope. Other than just the end of the chapter was kind of heartbreaking. Why? Because of the kid, the little yeah, poor child little... that yes. was tortured, Rob? Yes. Oh, look at Rob with his empathy signaling. Hey, everyone. I feel bad for children. Doesn't that make tomato me a... sauces involved. Doesn't that make me a good person? <laughs> feel bad for children. Lars, do I have the vapors? Yes. So, uh, next time, let's read uh, through chapter 19. That means stop at chapter 20. Do yeah, not read chapter 20. I know what it means. But every time. <laughs> I'm super smart. But literally every time. <laughs> Three days before we record, you go, hey, uh, what chapter are we reading to again? And then I go... <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, next time we'll be reading chapters 10 through 19, which means we don't read 20. Yay. Yay. All right. And then that will bring us to our new word alert. New word alert. Which I'm also going to take another long break in because I know there's a word in here. I just don't know where it went. Is it smash? Wow, Rob. I know what I know smash Hope likes means. to smash. I know what the word smash means, Rob. No, that's the problem is I don't remember what the word was, and I don't remember. I, I know, like, vaguely what where, where its shape was. Um, and if I can't find it in the next, like, 90 seconds, I'll give up. But is it Hulk? No, Rob. It's not Hulk. Gamma. Banner. Rick. Because yeah, otherwise, I'm out. I, I I was reading this without my phone earlier, which is why I couldn't look it up. Like I was reading it, and I was like, "Oh yeah, my phone's on the charger because I went to bed with and woke up with it with three percent. I can't just." have it right now and i kept reading instead of going to get it you mean the context of how it was used nope okay because you don't want to i don't know it uh, you don't remember anything about what you were reading when you were re when you read it i remember that the word started with the c oh but i don't remember anything other than that and i think we're getting close to my 90 seconds so i am was it courses on nope cacio e pepe nope cathartic carpathian clandestine i feel like it was in a section where there were like people like military people talking but i can't 
Camouflage. Clytemnestra. Yeah. I'm done. Okay. Um, who cares? All right. So, new word alert. Did we do this one last time? Stanchion. Maybe. Stanchion. Isn't that the like thing at the movie theater that holds up the the ribbon so you can't walk through it? Maybe. A stanchion is an upright bar, post, or support, as for a roof or ship's deck, or a device that fits loosely around the neck of an animal such as a cow and limits forward and backwards motion. Yeah, so I feel comfortable saying it's also like the people cattle pins at the movie theater. Unguent. Is it unguent or ungulent? Unguent. Unguent. Isn't that an animal with like a cloven hoof? No, that's an ungulate. Oh, I got it mixed up. Me uh, too. That's why I had to look it up. This is like an oil or a salve or something? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. I, I, thought, I thought they were the other way around. Nope. And then lastly... Plat. Plaque? Plat. Oh, plat. Oh, plat or plate. Uh, the, 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 the braided hair. Yeah. yeah. Yep, that's it. Well, I've got one. Okay. Also from this book. Poison A. Poison A? Poison A. Cloison A. C-L-O-I-S-O-N-N-E. Cloison A. I don't think so. I know that. I think it's French. Of, relating to, or being a style of enamel decoration in which the enamel is applied and fired in raised cells as of soldering so, soldering wires, usually on a metal background. There was a cloisonne, Chinese cloisonne artwork in Mason's hallway as Starling was being ushered in. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. New word alerts. All right, so next time, chapters 10 through 19... But otherwise, that was Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. Thanks for listening. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News. Become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers. And please discuss us extensively on Reddit. I may need to switch power from my iPad to my phone. Do it. No, no, I may need to. We'll see. Whenever it's convenient. Run out of uh, power because I have so many notes. So many notes. So many notes. I had the uh, unfortunate realization this morning when I woke up that my... So uh, I've been charging my phone. Hold on a second, because it's just I'm not going to be able to think if, unless I get it out. I ate his liver with a tater tot bake and some Pabst Blue Ribbon. Okay. Um, I just had to, you know, go ahead. Nice gold mug of Paps. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying you need to eat more ribs, but you should give some pork ribs a try. Now, I, the ribs, the problems I've had with ribs in the past have been pork ribs, but mostly, and I think I've told you this about this before, it's always the Fred Meyer ribs. If I get ribs at Fred Meyer, I will get a headache, and there's something weird about that. I've had similar issues with their ground pork. Yeah.
What an old person conversation. <laughs> I got I went and I got the ribs. I can't eat the ground pork. It gives me wind. And next time, next thing I know, uh, my head hurts. And I have to take a nap. Wow. Wow. That was like old person Jimmy Stewart, Nicolas Cage in one sentence. I don't understand, Mary. Do you want the moon? I have to grovel and apologize one more time. Please, 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 please. I have a note on... No, not now. Leaving it all in. Oh, no. Rob, please. No, stop it. Fix, Fix up my words, please, Rob. 